Okay, welcome to episode zero of Love During Quarantine, a production by myself and my lovely girlfriend, Maggie. Say hey, Maggie. Hello, everybody. Okay, so Maggie, the reason that I want to record this episode, this is episode zero, by the way, of a multi-part series. The thing I want to go over is this really cool article, which I will post after this. Um, and it's from the New York Times, and it's called The 36 Questions That Lead to Love by Daniel Jones. This was written in 2015, and you actually introduced me to this. So will you please speak a little to this article and why you think it's interesting? Okay, I can't even remember who showed me this article. Uh, but when we originally started dating, um, we started dating in the middle of a global pandemic, um, in the middle of quarantine, where we were not meeting up with each other and we had to look for ways to kind of bridge connection uh, that wasn't physical but incredibly emotional. You know, we couldn't go to concert together and sway to the music. We couldn't go to a restaurant and stare at each other across the table. We had to find ways that were a little more intimate um, in the beginning of a, re- of a relationship that a lot of people aren't really used to. So I stumbled across this article on 36 questions that lead to love And this isn't an article that I normally, an article or an activity that I normally would have chosen for any person that I met on a dating app, but the connection that I feel like I felt with you early on, I was like, this is something that I feel like I can do with him, and it will hopefully make us closer, which I really think it did, don't you? Yeah, so you're saying you had not done this with anybody prior to me. No, no, no. This is my first time. I had just, um, with my friend Alexa during quarantine, um, I was basically only hanging out with her uh, because we didn't know too many people around here because we both had just moved to Atlanta. Um, we had watched the Amazon show called, the, called Modern Love that was on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. And it was basically based off of the Modern Love column. And so this is a part of that. Um And so it dug me... That's what it was. It was Alexa who introduced me to this. Uh, It led me to this, and I was like, oh, wow. I read it, and I was like, this would be really fun to do with a partner. But in my head, I was like, I don't have a partner or anyone that I really have ever dated who I would feel comfortable asking some of these questions because some of them are very superficial and easy, but some of them are very deep. And um, then I met Austin. I met you, and... And we're, uh, just in case anybody's wondering, we are going to do it. We're going to go through these questions. But I think something interesting that people should know is I've, I've gone through some of these questions. You and I have talked about a few of them, but not all. They're not typical relationship questions in essence. Like the title of this is the 36 questions that lead to love. But not every question is things like, what do you look for most in a partner? Actually, mm-hmm. I don't think a single question no. asks that. No. Um, they ask questions that both people have to answer honestly, and in those honest answers is where either party gets to decide how they feel about each other. Yes. Such as, um, I'm going to scroll, and I'm going to ask one at random, um, You know, and we're not going to talk about it just to give people an idea. What, if anything, is too serious to be joked about? That's question number 32. So, obviously, we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. But just to give people an idea about... And each one, the- um, they're broken into three sets. So, you know, there's the first set of questions that you're just getting to know somebody. Um, you can probe as deep as you want with each question, but for the most part, you don't have to dig too deep under the surface to find sufficient answers. Whereas there's the second set, it gets a little deeper, probe more. And the third set is like where you really just 
And I will, I'll, uh, I will read the beginning of this article just okay. to give everyone full context. So in Mandy Lynn can. Catron's Modern Love Essay, To Fall in Love with Anyone, Do This. She refers to a study by psychologist Arthur Aaron and others that explores whether intimacy between two strangers can be accelerated by having them ask each other a specific series of personal questions. The 36 questions in the study are broken up into three sets, with each set intended to be more probing than the next one. So also, if you're attempting this at home and you can't get past one set, you definitely will not be ready for the next set. <laughs> The idea is that mutual vulnerability fosters closeness. And I, I'll pause right there because I agree with that wholeheartedly. Have you ever thought about that, that like sharing vulnerability is a key aspect to falling in love with somebody? Oh, 100%. 100%. So vulnerability. And I will say that that is something that I have struggled with um, in previous relationships because it is scary and... As a woman, there are multiple, you know, occasions where you feel more inclined to be more vulnerable, and then when your partner doesn't reciprocate, it makes you want to kind of coil back into your shell, and it kind of weakens your ability to be vulnerable. So that's why this experiment is so fun, because it's not one-sided. It really has to be double-sided in order for it to work. I know. And for a lot of men, uh, unfortunately, vulnerability comes down to something along the lines of, uh, honey, today I put my flip-flops on and two toes went to the left <laughs> instead of just my big one. <laughs> and and I didn't know what to do with that. Mm -hmm. And th this, we got to go much deeper, right? Mm -hmm. We have to dig much, much deeper. You have to get the heart of my shallow, fragile male ego without completely destroying me. Exactly. Um, but I think I think we can do that. So the next sentence is, to quote the study's authors, one key pattern associated with the development of a close relationship among peers is sustained, escalating, reciprocal, personal self-disclosure. Allowing oneself to be vulnerable with another person can be exceedingly difficult, so this exercise forces the issue. So are you, like many other people during quarantine, looking to railroad a relationship and get right into it because you have no other choices because it's hard to date multiple people? Well, welcome. <laughs> welcome to the show. The final task Miss Katrin and her friend try, staring into each other's eyes for four minutes, is less well documented, with the suggested duration ranging from two minutes to four. But Miss Katrin was unequivocal in her recommendation. Two minutes is just enough to be terrified, she told me. Four really goes somewhere. Maggie, I've never actually read that, and we've never tried that. Have you ever done that with anybody? Making eye contact for an extended period of time? For anywhere from two to four minutes. No, never that long. I Well, I told you the other day when I went to Spain and I studied abroad, and men over there, I'm from Minnesota, so we're very passive-aggressive. We don't make a lot of eye contact. We don't try to offend people with our eye contact or our body language or anything. And so eye contact for a long time was really hard. Actually, one of my old bosses at my last job when I did traveling sales commented to one of my coworkers that it was weird how I didn't make con eye contact at all. So no, I absolutely have not had eye contact with someone for four minutes straight. Interesting. Uh, without getting too deep, why do you, why do you think you avoided that eye contact? I don't know. It feels very intimate. It's a very personal and like the way that my old manager set it up as, is you need to be staring into the eyes of this person you're trying to sell, even if you've never met them. And I just feel like that is so intimate like you are basically looking i mean the eyes are the what's window it called to the yes soul. the eyes are the window yes. to the soul and i'm doing that with a man i don't even know um 
So it's scary to me, but I think it, I would stare into your eyes for four minutes. I mean, you would now. <laughs> I would now. Actually, and you say you would. We've yeah. never tried it. I don't know. I'm like staring we, at you right now. I know. We've done maybe 10 <laughs> seconds. No, we've done way more than that. Um, no, I think that is really interesting. I don't know that I've stared into in anything for that long. You know, maybe. Mm. No, nothing. Never. Nothing that long. Um, and it's interesting. Two minutes is enough to be terrified. Four really goes somewhere. So... I'm guessing at the end we have to try this, We're which, I'm, try which will obviously make for great radio. <laughs> Four minutes of silence. <laughs> <laughs> we'll figure something out for that. Okay, so I don't want to go too long on this particular episode again because we are in the uh, infancy of this babies. Uh, but let's let's do the first question just so people have an idea of what they're in for and what types of questions these are. So, question number one. Uh, actually, Maggie, I would like you to read that, please. Okay, question number one in set one. Given the choice of anyone in the world, whom would you want as a dinner guest? We answered this question before, didn't we? We've done a few of these. Yes, but I think not I, re- all of I think them. I remember this one, and I think this Although question. I... Go ahead. I think this question is fun because I think the answer can change at mm-hmm. any given mood that you are currently in at the time you're being asked the question. Because there are multiple people in my life who I would love the chance to sit down with if there was no expectations on the table. Um, but I think it would change based on the mood and like where I'm at in my life and like what kind of questions I would be or answers I would be seeking to what questions yeah. I had at that current moment. Well, and I would say I completely agree because whatever I'm about to say is completely different from whatever I said before. It's a highly topical answer, but it's something I feel super strongly about. So, I don't know. Do you have an answer right away? I would say that my guest that I would love to have is Roxanne Gay. She is my favorite author. Uh, I have... I was first introduced... To her when I took a women's literature class in college and we read An Untamed State and the book basically changed my life. Um, it's going through stuff in the moment when that I when I read that book and it really resonated with me um, and it introduced me to Roxanne Gay and then after that I basically went into I deep dived into a rabbit hole of Roxanne Gay's work. I read all of her essays that she had ever published online I read Bad Feminist as I was moving down to Atlanta for the first time. I remember taking a picture in the Atlanta airport of the book, and that actually is what spurred me to later then start a book blog, which I still run to this day. Um, So Roxanne Gay, I really owe that to her. Um, And then I read her collection of short, or her her collection of short stories, which was called Difficult Women, which was amazing. Um, And a lot of the stories take place in the Midwest, which is where I'm from, so I really connected to that. And, um, I read her anthology that she edited called Not That Bad about, uh, rape culture, which was amazing. And I remember I read that in a coffee shop in New York in one sitting when I went there by myself. So that's like a really pivotal moment in my life. And then I read when I was traveling for work in a hotel, I read her, uh, another short story collection called AED. And I have a framed quote of hers hanging in my house. I have a tattoo of an untamed state on my arm, like 
more than anything, I would love to sit down with Roxane Gay and not even pick her brain with questions, but just hang out with her. Yeah. Because she's amazing. She has accomplished so much in her life. She's from Nebraska. She's Haitian. Um, she wrote a book called Hunger That Changed My Life, which was her memoir that she wrote about um, basically traveling through the world in a large body. And she calls it an unruly body, which she then turned into a uh, hu- like a, a magazine segment through, I think it was Medium, um, where she had people submit essays on what it's like to live in an in, in an unruly body, whether it's a fat body, a disabled body, a body with IBS. Um, it was amazing. And basically everything Roxanne Gay does, I like ingest at a very like, yeah. aggressive rate because I love yeah. everything that she puts out. So that would be my guess. So I have a harder time answering this question. Okay. Because I see it in so many ways. And, and yes, get used to it. I'm going to answer every question just like this. Um, uh, because I, I think they're important and um, at a macro level, there's the idea of am I saying something that I care about my partner hearing or am I saying something that means a lot to me or is there a combination of the both? And where do you break down that barrier? I mean, the idea, again, is these are 36 questions that lead to love. So is, am I going to give the answer that leads to love or am I going to give the answer that makes me feel the most secure? And I, I don't know. That's tough. Mm-hmm. So I'll go ahead and answer this question um, maybe a couple of different ways because uh, famously I'm a food guy. I love food. I love cooking. So dinner guest, ooh, I get super excited. Like who would I want to have dinner with? And like I think of names like, you know, David Chang or the late great Anthony Bourdain, folks like that. But then I think of the idea of dinner guest in terms of you have an opportunity to have an intimate conversation with someone. And what if I could have an intimate conversation with someone that no one else has the chance to do or something that would be truly moving if I could ask the right questions to a person and see what they had to say and understand them. And I'll preface this with the idea that everyone today is obsessed with true crime, right? Mm-hmm. And we love watching documentaries and movies. I mean, you know, Zac Efron just played um, uh, Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy, yeah. Uh, so, what about having a dinner guest like Dylan Roof? And I know that sounds ridiculous because I, you know, I'm not trying to make his name bigger. I'm not trying to get people to look to like look up to him in any way or anything like that. But like understanding where hate comes from and why that's a thing may help in terms of preventing it in the future. Maggie, what do you think? I don't know. I don't know. That's a very... That's a tough question for me because initially when you said that, I was kind of like, ooh, I don't know. Like, Because is that not the equivalent of putting their side of the story in the spotlight? 
in comparison to the people that he killed? Is it is it the equivalent of the police officers who got them got him Burger King or McDonald's or whatever um, comfortably in a bulletproof vest um, and caring about what how he was feeling in that moment versus the people that he literally just slaughtered in a church where they were supposed to feel safe and they were supposed to feel welcome and they were supposed to feel comfortable. Um, and I think, you know, you said it goes into people are so invested in true crime nowadays and a lot of in my opinion, true crime podcasts and true crime books and true crime documentaries screw up so bad is we focus so primarily on the people who invoked and invoked all this hate and created all these terrible crimes. And I don't, I don't think they necessarily glamorize them. I know some do, but some don't, but they still, they give them so so much recognition and so much focus and then we can't even name any of the names of the actual people who were shot. That's a good point. So it's like, um, yes, should we interview them for questions to be able to prevent the next one? But then again, at the same time, like, there are so many people who are on the verge of becoming him that we should maybe focus on, too. Like, on every corner of the interweb, on YouTube, on, how do you pronounce it, QAnon. 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 Yeah. Like 4chan. Yep. Like there are thousands of potential Dylan Roofs out there that we could focus on, but we're just so. That's a, no, that's a good point. Do you, I mean, do you I mean, get what I'm saying? so you're saying like it, it, in a way it's entirely reactive rather than proactive. Exactly. And, and by me saying that, am I, am I, Am I fetishizing crime and true crime? It's okay to say yes. I don't know. That's the thing. It's so complex and complicated that I don't know. Like, did you ever watch the show? But but that's why I brought up Ted Bundy. Why do we know the things we do about Ted Bundy? Is because he said all these things on his deathbed and someone gave him the time of But day. that's the thing. I know Ted Bundy's name, but I can't tell you a single woman that he killed. Can you? Can you name one victim right now off the top of your head? No. No. Okay. But he was no, glamorized. And not only was he glamorized, and I get they were trying to show that he was attractive and that's why he got away with it, but he was literally, the person they cast as one of the hottest men in America. And so obviously everybody still is going to be talking about Ted Bundy and not going to be talking about the women that he raped and murdered. And, you know, we're, we watched one episode of um, the Michelle McNamara Yes. And that's why I think that show is so good and that book yeah. was so good is because she really puts an emphasis on the women that he terrorized and the people that he terrorized. No, you're right. Versus him. Especially in the book because in the book technically when it was published, they didn't even they still didn't know who he was. They still did not know how the, they, he was not caught. And so it was focused primarily on the women who were so young that he terrorized versus him as a person in general. I don't want to give him the spotlight. I don't want to do this. And I get where you're coming from where you're like, I want to prevent this next thing from happening because it seems nowadays that it's happening so often. Like, Well, I, no, and you know what? Talk is cheap. I mean, mm-hmm. that could have just been me saying that because what actually comes from that? Mm-hmm. What actually comes from someone saying something like that? Um, and the more that I hear you talk, it seems like, yeah, maybe that is just coming from a place of... 
how does this fulfill that the the whole of true crime that we try to fill our lives with now? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, so uh, Maggie and I are now more in love than ever before. <laughs> no, um, and that's. I don't know if you'll expect that type of discussion from every question, but every question does have an opportunity to have a discussion like that. That's mm-hmm. why I do think that this 36 questions that lead to love is really interesting because if some of these could be asked on a first date, I think it'd give you a good indicator of what type of person you're about to go on a date with. hundred um, percent. And I do believe it, you know, it, 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 it is more intended for people that have not been in long relationships. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, if this seems like something that would be interesting. Um, but I think it could also be good for people, too, who also have been in long relationships and you're like, oh, I know everything about this person. Um, I know everything I need to know. But then you ask these questions and I really do think, like, you can learn something new about somebody every single day. Of course. And so, yes, the, I feel like this is kind of primed or, like, geared t- more towards people who are just getting into a relationship but overall, you could add, you could do this questionnaire with your new boyfriend or your new girlfriend or your new partner. You could do it with a someone you've been dating or married to for a decade. You can do it with your friends. You're, I say, you're not going to get through it in a night. No, though. you're not. No. It, no, like it's going to take time, but it's fun. I fall in love with my friends every day, so I would do this with my friends. I would do this with my parents. I would do this with my siblings. Mm-hmm. I would do this with a stranger on the public transit if they didn't hate me talking to them and they didn't want to put their, their headphones in. But, like, it's a fun <laughs> it's a fun questionnaire. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So that was episode zero. Look out for the next one. Look out for the next one. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>